Glad to see you all. Hope everybody's doing good, staying healthy. Uh, despite what the news is saying, um, I'm, gr- I'm grateful that we're not dealing with anything substantial right now, and I'm hopeful that that won't be the case. Uh, but nonetheless, I know in the back of everybody's mind is this sense of uncertainty and maybe even foreboding about things that are happening in the news. But the thing that I want you to consider is in a place like this, no matter what is happening out there, because you are a part of a family that is connected to the God that we worship, we just have a different view of everything that's going on regardless of what the news says. And maybe I can help you to make sense of what that means as we go through this message today and we just kind of dig into what it means to be part of God's family and the difference it makes because we are connected to God as our Heavenly Father. And I want to start by just going all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story of the imagery, bless you, the imagery of the Garden of Eden. Now, if you've ever read that story, you know there are some features that are part of that story that um, are, are, I I would say, worth remembering and considering. Um, In the Garden of Eden, can anybody tell me what all you find there? God, of course. Uh, Adam and Eve. Tree of Life. Any any other trees? A lot of other trees. Any other special trees? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, what else is uh, connected to that garden? The serpent. The serpent. Yes. What'd you say? Council. Okay, the divine council. Um, what else? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. What is what is flowing from the garden? Okay, there's the river of life, and there's also the the rivers that flow. Uh, the, do you guys know the name of the rivers that flow from the garden? Uh, Tigris, Euphrates, Gershon, and I forget the fourth. Oh man, thanks Alex. <laughs> awesome. Points for you. Okay. Alright, so trivia question is you got to look that one up. Well, I think all of that stuff is bundled into that whole storyline because each of those things has a great deal of significance when it comes to considering what God was doing in that experience. And by design, his hope was that we could be in his presence and we could see him face to face and everything about that experience would be charged with his blessing. But there was an event that happened in the garden that we also have to reconsider. And what was that? What did God say? He said, um, I've given you responsibility for the whole thing and the whole planet, right? And you can do whatever you want to with it, right? Except what? Eat from what tree in particular? The tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, And that was a a concern, but what happened? They ate it. Maybe like telling your kids, I mean, I I know there's a lot behind the story, but in some ways it would be like telling your kids, you know that piece of pie in the refrigerator? Don't eat it. And it just so happens to be their favorite piece of, or kind of pie, 
and uh, there's only one piece left and well disappeared don't know what happened and that's in effect what happened in this event beta of the tree God realized that something had been broken in, in the form of trust and the whole family system that he had created there began to disintegrate what would be the benefit of living in the garden with God seeing him face to face would you feel safe I mean God is there right what, 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 what harm could happen would you feel like that because God was there and you were there would you feel important I mean I would think so and if God even said I've made you in my image and likeness male and female his words to us basically define our identity and so whenever it comes to that sense of feeling secure and when it comes to feeling uh, a sense of identity and the responsibility what did he say was your responsibility again take care of it all you're responsible for it all and then when it broke down and they were disinvited from the garden because they had their own ideas about what they wanted to do and God says if you got your own ideas about what you want to do just go just go and because uh, we're obviously not in agreement here and I know some families over time they have that moment where there is a disagreement and there's a parting of the ways sometimes it's resolved quickly and other times it's resolved over decades and there's this sense that what was there that was good at one time is now broken. And some feel probably will never be restored. And yet God has this vision of trying to reset that whole experience because it is his purpose to recover that connection that he once had with us as our Heavenly Father in a way that is personal and I think intimate and in a way that gives us a sense of security and identity and worth. Now, let's just stop that story for a second and imagine you're sitting in your living room and you turn on the TV and the news says airports are shutting down, petroleum is bottoming out, people are encouraged stay in their homes and if you are taking uh, a trip somewhere be very vigilant about not touching your face not rubbing your eyes and some of you this may hurt not pick your nose just keep your hands away and all of it has in the backdrop of it this sense that you could die that if you make the wrong move it may not end well and it has this foreboding about it that when you hear it and you start ruminating on it well you find yourself becoming a little bit nervous am I right and maybe you're thinking I feel a little bit vulnerable and insecure and maybe some of you are thinking I, I, I wish that all this stuff wasn't going on and I would say that the 
place that we talked about a minute ago has a lot to say about why we're feeling the way we're feeling by people who are obsessed with causing us to think that the sky is falling. Because I think that if God is far away, it's just us versus the world. And that's a difficult place to be, isn't it? Because all we have are our wits, dumb luck, and just kind of hoping against hope that we'll make it. And as God is looking at us in that pitiful condition, there's a, there's a, there's a virus going around called the coronavirus. But mostly it's not about the pathogen itself, you know, the germ itself. It's about how from brain to brain to brain it's spreading in a way where the fear that is being conjured from the story is just paralyzing people. And it's probably more an issue of imagination than it is about reality. And even if it is something that does knock on your door, if you are a member of God's family, you're going to relate to that visitor in a different way. But if you're not a member of God's family, you may look at that and say, it's just me versus the world. Because I'm responsible for my own security. I'm responsible for my own identity. I'm responsible for my own worth. All of those things that God had given us as a gift in the garden, we've kind of removed ourselves from. So if you're with me so far, the message series that we're doing is entitled Family Resemblance. And it has a lot to do with the fact that God is looking at us in that pathetic state of abject fear and worry and uncertainty about who we are, who we are in this world, and a sense of worth. And he's saying, there's a better way. And it's as close as your nearest church. And as God has looked at us and our pathetic insecurity and all of those things, he says, I want to reclaim your life and my fellowship with you. And he sets about to reset it. And it's a long process of him going through different phases of people connecting with him and rebelling and disconnecting until finally, Jesus. And when Jesus comes into the world, the, the, the description is, is, is multi-layered, but one of the most important descriptions of the word Jesus, I like, is the new Adam. It's what Paul uses when he tries to describe what Jesus is representing as he comes into this situation and people began to see a new reason to hope. And what Jesus did on a bloodstained cross was he, he basically began the reconnecting process. And on that on that day that he was walking next to the person who was wondering what happened to this Jesus who now lay in the grave and he revealed himself to these two people on the road to Emmaus. I went through that empty cross and I went through that empty tomb to present myself to you as a new beginning. 
Well, that's sort of a summary of the story because it does make a difference whether your concern and worry are viruses or the fact that you're getting bullied on the playground and everything in between. And as God is looking at us, he says, I want you to be a part of something that's reclaiming all of that. And I want you to know that Jesus is the beginning of that experience. He's, he's the first one. And from him, this whole thing begins to take on a life of its own. So here's the first image that I just want to impress upon you. How many gardeners do we have here? We have a few. Okay. And uh, how many of you like to plant trees? Anybody? How many like to chop up trees? Because most of the trees we chop now are already on the ground, right? From the wind and stuff. Uh, but you know that experience of trees. And some of you have even gone so far as to replant them, right? Or maybe you've said, no, nah, I don't want to go through that again. So you just left it. Regardless, that image of the tree in the Bible is so reoccurring in so many different forms that uh, one group of scholars says it kind of shows up about 750 times again in various parts of the Bible. So something about the tree and everything that has to do with the parts of the tree fit into the story. And so I want to show a picture of, a, of, of, of what a tree goes through in its life cycle. Initially there's a divot in the ground. As you know, the seed is planted. Little roots began to take hold in the soil. As nourishment is drawn into that uh, seed and, and, and it germinates and roots expand, it, it pops up out of the ground, as you know, and branches and leaves begin to appear. You tend to that process a little bit more and you see that mature uh, to an even more complex degree to the point where eventually you're looking at that tree and the roots are deep in the ground and the branches are high up in the sky and the leaves are revealing the fruit that possibly the tree was designed to create. And that image of a tree is actually something that I think is embedded in the mind of people that are part of this family. Because they remember the two trees from the garden, but they also remember the tree that Jesus was hung on. And they remember why he was hung on that tree. And then they remember when they hear a sermon on Easter that there's a seed that is buried in the ground. And it's just an image of Jesus being buried in the tomb. And when that seed begins to express what it was designed to do in effect, it's the beginning of a new way, a new life. And the whole imagery is designed to help you and I wrap our minds around the fact that the thing that happened in Eden with Adam and Eve is starting to happen in a slightly different way with Jesus as the new Adam and the new seed that has been planted that all of us become grafted into or born into in a way that the branches and the fruit and everything about that tree, we are somehow part of that experience. The bottom line is, it's a way of saying that we are now connected to God. And it's a much more solid connection than ever. Okay, hopefully you're with me so far. There's another image, and that is, how many of you have ever seen the Mississippi River? 
okay? Or the Ohio River, or the Monongah River. Okay, you know that as you look at that map up there and it shows you all of these little streams that go into tributaries, that go into rivers, that find their way to the middle of the, of the continent of the United States to a big river called the Mississippi. And the Mississippi, as it flows through the centers, roughly, of our country, uh, it lands in the Gulf of Mexico where all of these rivers that have fed into it converge in one spot. And it's representative, I think, in so many ways of what God is trying to do here. Because not only are we are we, are we fruit that emerges out of our connection to Jesus like a tree that bears fruit and our lives are fruitful. But the metaphor also uh, reminds us of those rivers flowing from Eden and out into the rest of the world. It was the place where, where that life-giving special place that is called Eden is just the effects of it are running out. In this case, I know, I know some of you have adopted or you have, have had foster experiences. Some of you may be adopted. You may know where I'm going here. Because what God is doing is he's looking at the whole planet and he's looking at each of us individually. And he knows our story, our experience. He knows where we come from, our people, the people that we're connected to. And he has this very bold, audacious vision that has never been accomplished before. And that is this. That all these people around the planet who are so different in so many ways can somehow become part of the same family. Now, I don't know how you pull that off. Because if you get on your remote control and you turn to another channel, it will tell you these people are fighting these people. And these people are being racist against those people. And don't get me wrong, all of that stuff is not good. But it would appear that that same message has been repeating itself over and over and over and over again that clearly it's a problem. That people don't get along very well. And if they belong to another group that's the opposite of their group or similar but slightly different, they're always in competition with each other. And yet God says somehow, in this bold vision, I want to I pull them all together into one place. And that leads us back to Jesus. Because he seems to be the only one who is capable of pulling this off. And as we read in scripture, we find that the things accomplished on the cross and on, uh, on, on, that, on Resurrection Sunday have a deep and profound effect for everyone that trusts that that is true and that he is real. And everything that he claimed will come to pass if it hasn't already. And what the scripture tells us is he has come basically to do all that so we can be adopted back into his family. 
Now there's one more image, I hope you're still with me, that's important for us to keep in mind. And that is, we have God the Father, we have Jesus the Son who is the new Adam, and then of course we have the Holy Spirit, but then there's us. And how do we turn on our TV, hear these messages, but come away from that looking at the world in a completely different way? Well, we are called to be a unique people. A people that are assembled through an adoption process that Jesus began 2,000 years ago that have as their primary identity as the children of God. There's something about the connection that God creates through Jesus that is a game changer. That helps us whenever there's a crisis going on out there and helps us whenever we just are expressing thanksgiving for everyday blessings for things we often take for granted and everything in between. There's a peace that passes all understanding because he is in our midst and he is the one who keeps us safe. He is our protector. He's very close by. He promises to be an ever-present help in our time of need. And when we're worried about who we are in this world that says so many things about who we should be and, and who we might think we are, he says, first and foremost, you are my child. And don't you ever forget it. And there's something about knowing that you are valued by none other than God himself that I think is just staggering. Because so many people say nice things and sometimes unkind things about us and our stock and our value seems to go up and down based on our level of popularity in the course of a day. But with God, he looks at each of us and he says, I have adopted you. I have brought you into my family. And I see you the same every day. Now, I wish I could say that as a dad. I mean, I have good days and bad days with my kids. And I've learned a lot as a parent. And now I've learned everything I need to know. And I'm okay. I'm like, God, I'm ready to be a parent now. And he's like, no, this is game over. We're done. We're moving on. Think about grandparent maybe, but not parent. No, you're done. Because I, I walked into it thinking that, oh, I've got the manual. Going to have a kid. Here's my child rearing philosophy. Honey, this is what we do under these conditions. So we do it and it kind of works. And you're thinking, oh, the manual works good. Then the next kid shows up. And you're looking at the kid, you're looking at the manual, and you're thinking, hmm, it's not working. It worked well with the first one, but the second one, it doesn't seem to be working very well. Why is that? We got the manual, it's not making any sense. We thought we had it all dialed in. Aren't kids all the same? Third kid rolls around. No offense, third kid. But there is no manual at this point. I mean, it is just hang on and white knuckle it. And hopefully, when the rapids are over, you'll live to tell about it. At least that's what my parents told me they had to do. 
And as we look at one another in this family, we realize something, that to compound everything, God has made us all sort of different by design. There's something about us characteristically that is the same, and that is we share the same family name. But there's something about us individually that God looks at us and he says, you know, he doesn't say you're a special snowflake and I have a trophy for everybody. He says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made who you are. And when I realized the manual wasn't working, God sort of just said... Yeah, they're all kind of different, aren't they? And my thought was, yeah, they are, but how do you make this work? And I, and I, and I think it's as clear as day that I came to the realization. I just have to pay attention to each of them very carefully and figure out how you've wired them, how you've made them. And then my job isn't so much to say, because I, let me just confess this. You guys know I like cars. I like working on cars. I like doing mechanical things. One of my dreams was all three kids and myself, I had this vision, would be standing around the hood of a car, and I'd say, Mom, can you give me the pliers? Christian, can you take that water pump out? Stephen, can you put some... Uh, antifreeze in the radiator you know we're just having this blissful moment and if I just raise them right I could have all of that and more so fast forward a few years say 15 hey you want to go out in the garage and work on a car nah I'm not feeling it today and as it turned out I'm like man they don't seem to be feeling it any day where is this breaking down they're not doing what I want them to do and that's where God says, this is, this is sort of the problem here. This is why family doesn't always work, because we all have our own idea about what each of us should be doing. And that's why we need Jesus in the middle of the whole thing. And as God gives us his son to enable us to kind of grow in enough wisdom to make sense of it all, we start with our own family and we... Sort of expand that out into something else that he calls the church. Uh, John Calvin said, if God is the father, the church is sort of the mother. And I thought that was an odd statement until you read this passage in Galatians where it talks about that very imagery about the church kind of having that motherly role. And if we read it in Galatians 4, uh, you'll, you'll see it. Uh, he's talking about something that's a larger allegory, but he says, but the Jerusalem... That is the community of people that is, a, that is above, that is from heaven, is free and she is our mother. And he's talking really about the church. He says, for it is written, uh, let's go ahead and flip on over to the next slide. Uh, and I'll just read these verses. Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now, just take away from this for now that. That God is going to create a family, not in the natural way, but in a very unique and special way through Jesus and the church. And the church really is the processing place for enabling new lives to be born again. And we're called to be the family of God. And so a lot of us, when we 
begin to identify with this larger family, we start thinking about, yeah, I was in a family and it wasn't so great. Or I was in a family and it was fine and we had these ideas. But whatever it is, when you say the word family, automatically I know all of us are thinking the family that we grew up in and all of its pluses and minuses. And what God is trying to say is I'm actually taking all of the messiness of your family experience and I'm calling a whole bunch of you guys to bring the messiness of their family experiences together and then I'm going to create the church. And I'm like, God, it was hard enough to think about the fact that you were going to bring all of these people from all these different uh, ethnic and racial backgrounds together into one family. Now you're saying that you're going to bring us together in a place where we're also including the baggage of our own dysfunctionality and you're going to make this thing work. How do you do that? How do you do that? And that's where Jesus says we got to start over. you got to be born again. And he gives us the means by which we can start over. And as, you know, our three kids, when they were born, God bless them, every single one of them had the umbilical cord wrapped around their neck. And so I tell them, look, you must have been, you must have had the umbilical cord too tight whenever you did whatever you did. I'm just being, being facetious. But I'm like, that's not a good way to start because that kid needs air. And they come out, they cough a little bit, and they're good to go. That life-giving breath just starts to take hold and... You know, one kid, we got to the hospital 100 miles an hour. 20 minutes later, 100 miles an hour, he's wanting out, and he's out, and then he hasn't slowed down since. And I asked him the other day, do you drive your car fast? I'm just curious. Yeah, Dad, I drive my car pretty fast. I could have guessed it. Because that's the way you're wired, isn't it? All right. So we have a messy family, messy family experiences, a lot of ideas about how it should work. And then Jesus says, I want to reset it. Because when you begin to live in this family, you're going to have to learn to work together. And you're also going to discover in the process that what is going on outside of this place where people aren't part of that same family they're going to be scared. They're going to be nervous. They're going to be insecure. They're going to be wondering, what is my identity? And they're going to be competing and comparing each other because they're wondering, how much am I worth? Not so with you. Because Jesus has revealed to us that we are God's children. We are part of his family. And because of that blood-stained cross, we have value in ways that we don't even know. And so when the coronavirus or the tsunami or the asteroid or the what-ifs and the whatever's happen, you need to stay focused on who you are and whose you are.
because that is how you keep your bearings in a crazy world and I've given you everything you need for that. Now when you look at the, the, the graphic, you see different family members, whether they're, you know, kind of a Batman kind of character, or caveman kind of character. Weird how they sort of look alike, but they don't look alike. And that, that image of the water coming together, Jesus said, I'm going to use you to create that moment where we all come together under one place. And if you fast forward to the end of our story, the book of Revelation, where things are happening sort of in the future sense of the word, in Revelation 5.9, we read this about all of the river streams flowing into one place. And it is a picture of that moment when everyone converges and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, speaking of Jesus, and by your blood you ransomed, you adopted. You paid what was necessary to claim us. You ransom people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. And it's such a beautiful image, isn't it? All these people gathered from all over the world, incorporated into one family. And then in Revelation 7-9, it gets better because we read this. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And I could go on about what that worship setting is, but essentially it's this. People are looking around and they're seeing all kinds of people from all kinds of places. But you know the weird thing is? When they look at one another and when they talk to one another, it's like they've known each other their whole lives. Have you ever traveled somewhere and met a Christian from another country or another place or even in our country and you started to talk to them and then all of a sudden, because of the family resemblance, you're kind of speaking the same language. You're kind of thinking the same thing. You're like, man, I just feel like I know you. And if you've never had that experience, I hope that you do because all you have to do is strike up a conversation with a person who's laid claim to everything that I've kind of outlined for you. And one of the benefits of being a part of this family is that when things are happening out there, we're called to stick together. And not be a force against what is out there, but be a force for what's out there. So here's how I'm going to end the message with three purposes quickly. The first one is, by design, we're not adopted into the family just to say, I'm checking out and I don't want anything to do with anybody. I'm just glad I'm in, but I don't want to be a part of any of the other family members. We're part of a community. But how do you be, let's go ahead and put that slide up there if we can, uh, the first point. How do you be a community when we don't get along so well? So here's the second thing. We have to have a purpose. And that is worshiping God and working together to bring about a message of good news to the lives of the people that are just scared witless. And
and living in fear and uncertainty and questions about their own identity and worth. And when we worship God together, it just aligns our hearts and our minds in a place where our differences, even though they are real, find their, their proper priority. And the second thing that we do together is we think about something like the coronavirus, for example. And in our family, when we hear about stuff like that, our first question is, well, should I wash my face? Yeah. Should I keep my hands away from my face? Yeah. Should I pick my nose? No. But maybe the next question is, there are just a lot of people out there who are literally traumatized by their daily dose of fear. How can we use this as an opportunity to direct that conversation to Jesus? And how can we go into whatever chaos life is doling out and have a peace that passes all understanding? Jesus. And when people see that we are from a different kind of family, we have to tell them one of the reasons why we're different is by design we're called to include as many people that are made in God's image as absolutely possible. And I would say that's everyone. And then we're to go to work together. But as we do that, if you spend any time with any people in the church, you're going to find this. There's a honeymoon period where you kind of get to know the person. And then there's a period where you kind of get to see some of each other's dark side. And some of us would say, I just want to go to a large church where I don't have to deal with that. And I can just go in and I can leave. And I, I'm, I, don't, want to, I don't want to say anything negative about any other worship gatherings other than to say in the smaller ones we've had to learn to work through stuff and as a result of that we pay attention to the next point and it's this let's go ahead and put the third one up there the church it is here to help us to learn to encourage one another to build up one another in faith to pray with one another, to learn from one another, to teach one another. And I'm just getting started. The Apostle Paul, when he writes about that phrase, one another, it's just all over the place. And my, my, my challenge, I guess, if you want to, is if you ever read like Ephesians or Colossians, just circle all the one another passages. And you'll find that those are the hallmarks of what that family does. Oh, you know, I like that family. They pray for one another. I like that family. They don't gossip about one another. They're encouraging one another. I like that family because, well, in one form or another, they're learning from each other. I like that family because without getting preachy or even teachy, they're just helping one another learn as, as we go. And God looks at us and he says, that is where we begin to take on the characteristics of a family that resembles the father that called them into that family. And I'll just end on this note. God is always 
leaving the door open for you to come into his family. And his son has sealed the agreement, if we're willing, by ransoming us. And you may say, ransoming us from what? Well, obviously somebody or something owns us. Whether it's fear, whether it's evil, whether it's the demonic, whether it's Satan. There are just forces at work in the world. They keep everyone captive until God ransoms us away and invites us into his family. So I've, I've laid out a lot of heavy stuff today for you. My hope is, if nothing else, when you walk out of this sanctuary and you turn on the news and you start to escalate from fear, I want you to remember who you are and whose you are and the difference that it makes. And my heart is broken if there are people around us that don't have the blessing and the joy of being a part of this family because by design we're called to share it as much as we possibly can. Glad to have Kayla and Alex with us. They're kind of like family members. You knew you weren't going to fly under the radar, did you? Those two walk into our house like they've lived there a hundred years. Am I right? And what do we do? We say, come on in, eat some food, enjoy. Keep our kids occupied so they stay out of trouble. And that's the way God is with his hospitality for you. There are no barriers other than your own willingness. He's calling us to be a part of something and then he makes us resemble that part as we follow his son and are born again in him and empowered by his spirit and encouraged and built up by one another. If that's happening, then we are who we're supposed to be as the church. Would you bow with me? Father, as we just take this moment and we take the substance of everything that we've drawn from your story and we apply it personally, help us, Father, to embrace your call to a new family name, and that is sons and daughters of God through Jesus. Help us to see ourselves in the mirror every day as having that primary identity. Help us, Lord, when we are overwhelmed with fear to turn to a father whose perfect love casts out all fear. Help us, Father, when we are wondering how much we are worth and what we are valued to remember a bloodstained cross that just signals so powerfully our worth. And then, Father, help us to have eyes to see what you see around us, hurting and broken people who are disconnected from you. And help us resemble you enough that they are drawn into your presence through us. And where we lack, may your grace and mercy be sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.